Now, the bloopers maybe you've seen have become pretty popular. If you buy a, a television series on DVD or a movie, as part of the DVD, you always get a section that has the bloopers, right? And these are the parts where the actors have messed up their lines or they've tripped over something or they start yelling at each other or they're even playing jokes on each other. And in some cases, the bloopers are a lot better than the actual movie, right? It's these things that are happening that you can see are about to happen and you experience it. Or maybe you're watching something like America's Home Funniest Home Videos, right? And you know what's about to happen, but you're going to watch it anyway, right? And you're going to laugh when it happens because you're glad it didn't happen to you yet, right? <laughs> or you watch these videos on YouTube, the same thing, all these things that are about to happen. You, just, you can't help but watch it again and watch it again and laugh every time. Now, on these videos, the worst ones for me are actually the wedding ones, where you know something is about to happen. And not just because of what I do, how I officiate at weddings, because you think about this couple, who sometimes couples plan for like a whole year uh, before the wedding, right? And they want everything to be perfect. They think they've thought out everything. They want you to be here. They want you to be doing this. And then that day happens, and well, it didn't turn out to be so perfect. Any wedding that I've been a part of, well, it's never come out perfect. And it used, at first, I used to think it was because of me. I thought, oh, man, what am I doing? But that's just the way it works, right? We, we kind of expect that. And so if we're watching one of these videos and the groom decides that the best time to faint is right at the altar, well, we feel sorry for him, but then we kind of laugh at him too, huh? Or we start laughing with the bride who all of a sudden gets these these giggles that she can't stop laughing, and we just start laughing with her, right? Or if the preacher forgets who he's marrying, he calls them by different names. Oh, no. Woo. But we laugh because we watch them. We know something's about to happen, and when it happens, we laugh with it because I think, in a way, we are expecting it. We know we're watching. We know that something is about to happen. And as Jesus tells this parable about the ten bridesmaids, I think the disciples kind of feel the same way. Jesus says that there were ten bridesmaids, five were wise and five were foolish. And at first, I, I was thinking about saying, I decided not to say it, that if you kind of look at that and using the calculations, it looks like Jesus is saying that one out of every two of us is a fool. But I decided not to put that in the sermon. And no pointy fingers, by the way. But Jesus says there's these bridesmaids who took their lamps to go meet the groom, and some of them brought flasks of oil, and some of them took their lamps and brought no presumably extra oil. Now, if we were to be playing this video, when these bridesmaids picked up their lamps with or without the oil, this would be the moment that we know something is about to happen. And here's what I mean. In our culture today, we have, when it comes to our wedding ceremonies, we have certain traditions, don't we? Whether we recognize them as traditions or not, you may not realize the, the, the groom is always on the left hand. And the groom and his family, they all sit on the left side. And the bride and her family and friends, they all sit on the right side. Or maybe it's a tradition that the parents, you know, walk in. Or the, the father gives the bride away. Or even at the very end, right, when we say, you may now kiss your bride. These are all just small pieces of tradition that make up the entire ceremony. And if we think about <clears throat> these, these bridesmaids who have their, 
their lamps ready or, or not, we realize that this is the point that if they didn't bring their oil, something is about to go not as planned. In a way, if you think about these ill-prepared bridesmaids, it's the modern-day equivalent of the best man who forgets the wedding rings. Trust me, you don't want to be that guy. When everyone is at the ceremony and the pastor asks for the rings and the guy says, oh no, you don't want to be that guy. You see, that guy had something to do, but for whatever reason, he didn't do it. These bridesmaids, all ten of them, all of them, had something that they were supposed to do. Presumably, they were asked. You know, we do that today, don't we? Hey, you want to be in my wedding? Sure I do. Hey, you want to be my... Yes, I do. And if you say yes, then you're expected to be at a certain place at a certain time. You're expected to do a certain thing. And early on in this parable, we realize that some of these bridesmaids are not going to be able to do what they were asked to do. Now, what were they asked to do? We, we, we feel pretty sure about what we think. We think about the wedding um, ceremony as it was in, in this culture for Jesus. And part of what the bridesmaids were supposed to do, they had these lamps, right? Each of the bridesmaids took their lamps. It's not like this was a gift or anything. They took the lamps that they were supposed to have. And what we think they were supposed to do is just go, perhaps by the gate, and wait for the groom so that when the groom came, they have their lamps ready and lit so that everyone can see who the groom is, so that the groom could see who everyone else is, and so that maybe there was almost this sort of path of light, right, from where they were into the groom. But again, some of the bridesmaids were not ready to do what they were asked to do. Now, a few observations about this parable. Anytime you say, well, some people are wise and some people are foolish, you automatically, well, I don't want to be the foolish one. And we kind of forget what the wise people do as well. But all ten of them, right, all five foolish and all five wise, all ten of them fell asleep. All ten of them became weary as they waited for the groom. And what about this waiting that these ladies are doing? If you, kind of, if you read it, it kind of looks like this waiting is not totally unexpected. This isn't something that just, what's keeping this guy? Jesus just says that as the bridegroom was delayed, he didn't say, well, you know these kind of grooms, right? You know these divas, or whatever the male counterpart would be. Oh, you know how it is. They were just waiting on him. Everybody wants to be late to their own wedding. They think it's cute, right? Jesus doesn't say all that. Just as he was delayed, they waited. Something was keeping the groom, and it doesn't appear to have been a big surprise, either to Jesus, to the bridesmaids, and I think as they were listening to the disciples as well. And it's kind of, well, if you know he's going to be late, maybe if you're a disciple, you're hearing this this parable, and you're thinking, wait a minute. If you know he's going to be late, how do you not bring enough oil so that you can be ready to do what what he asked you to do when he finally gets here? How do you not bring 
extra oil? Well, of course, the easy answer is they were foolish, weren't they? Matthew uses the word moros, where we get the English word moron. (laughs) Again, no pointing, please. What we understand about this parable, and if you look at the parable before and even the parable after it, is that Jesus is saying something about himself, something about us. That Christ is the groom that we are waiting for. Our faith tells us that one day Christ will come again to make all things new. But in the meantime, we have to do one of the things that we hate doing the most. We wait. I don't know about you, but I hate waiting in line at McDonald's. And so I think, you know, I'm going to take care of that. I'm not going to wait in that line. I'm going to wait over here till that line goes down. I've still got to wait, man. Or, 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 or you're, at, you're at the traffic sign, right, the traffic light, and it's red, and it turns green. And before your brain can tell your foot to get off the brake and put on the gas, the guy behind you does what? (gasps) Because we don't want to wait for anything, do we? We stand in front of our microwave to pop popcorn. And if it takes a minute and ten seconds, we're like, it's time to get a new one. We just do not like to wait for anything. Yet, Jesus tells us that we wait. What we realize, because we hate waiting so long, consequently, things can happen while we wait. Perhaps we can fall asleep. Perhaps we can get bored. Perhaps we can wander away. I think a great example is from the text that Tom read for us when Joshua tells the people those, those great lines, right? Boy, give the preacher those lines. Choose you this day who you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Preachers love that kind of talk, but we just go all day with that. So Joshua tells the people, choose you this day who you will serve. And then the people, you know what? They have the audacity to say, you know what? You're right. We're going to serve God. And then Joshua tells them, yeah, but you can't do it. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. And part of what I think Joshua was reminding the people is that, look, you can talk about following God all you want. You can say you want to follow God. You can even be a little gung-ho about it. But it takes a lot more than this to follow God. It's commitment love and it's being willing to actually follow me and something about the people they had the tendency to want to praise God one day but then sort of get lured away to these other gods well okay you know I got to get away from them. let me go back to God but oh wow okay Joshua tells them you can't serve God 
because that doesn't work with God. Even us today, we come here because we say we worship God. We want to we honor God. We love God. We want to be closer to God. But friends, let's be real. It's easy to get up on Sunday morning and go to church. It's a lot more difficult to follow God once we leave. Then we think about we're waiting and all this time we have in between, we're waiting. And so what we do is we fill our time with so many things. We, we go here, we do this, we want to get this done. Oh, my time, my time, which really isn't your time. Let's be real with each other. This is all God's time. But in that time, we just go on and go on. And somehow, in all that time, God gets squeezed out. And what we realize is that if we don't have time for God, well, then time is our God. Joshua tells the people, you can't follow God like that. Something else can happen, too, as we wait and we wait. Sometimes we can lose hope. Sometimes we can lose hope of what we've been told awaits us what happened to the Thessalonian church, I think. The whole reason why I think Paul wrote that letter to to that church is as they waited, they heard about this great promise. In their mind, it was supposed to happen like yesterday, right? But then what happened? Well, they had to wait another day. Another day. and Well, a day turned into weeks and weeks to months and so on and so forth. And along the way, people began to perish, began to pass away, and they wondered, well, wait a minute. Is this promise even real? Am I wasting my time waiting on this supposed promise that God has for us? And Paul wrote to them to remind them that there is hope in the promise that we have. That one day, friends, God will come and make all things new. I don't know if you realize it the first time when I said it, but that is the good news. That one day, Christ will come again and make all things things new. Y'all with me? I don't know what it is you have to deal with yesterday, and maybe yesterday carried over in today, and maybe you're going to wake up tomorrow dealing with the same stuff over and over and over and over again. And just when you think you're about ready to kind of make a turn over a new leaf and start again, you realize you got to deal with it all over again. But one day, friends, God will make it all new. That happens to be part of God's job description. God's in the business of making things new. God makes us new. That's part of the reason why we come to church today or any other Sunday. We come to be reminded of the newness that God wants for us. We come to to find out how God can make us new each day. Part of the reason why we celebrate communion so that we can share in the work that Christ is doing in us, recognizing that God each day is making us new, newer than we were before. Until that day, God makes all things new. And when we think of it that way, when we understand it that way, we recognize that some of the bad things that can happen while we wait, but we also realize that good things can happen while we wait as well. As we learn how to wait faithfully, We can learn to trust God more. We may learn something more about God, about faith, or about ourselves. We may recognize new things as well when we learn how to wait. But as we wait,
think part of what we're supposed to do is to consider what God has asked us to do in our waiting. So that we, like the bridesmaids, can be ready to give light for all people to see when the groom comes. So that all people can see the light shining towards the groom. That is what God has asked us to do. You see, the bridesmaids, they knew the groom was coming. There was no doubt about that. They weren't just prepared to meet the groom. What they were prepared for, what Jesus said distinguished them between wise and foolish, was that they were prepared for the wait. And that's what God calls us to be prepared for as well. So that we can give light so that all people can see the groom coming. If not, Jesus finishes the parable by saying that by the time the foolish bridesmaids go and buy oil, they come back and they knock on the door and the groom says, I don't know you. And that seems kind of harsh, but remember it's in Matthew's account of the gospel a few chapters earlier when Jesus says, well, you know, you remember when you went to prison and you visited those who were in prison? You remember when you gave water to those who were thirsty? Remember when you clothed the naked? When you did that, you did it to me. And people said, I I never did that for you. When did I do that for you? And Jesus said, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And it was the people, he said, that didn't do those things. And when the time came, they would hear, I never knew you. So, friends, what we are prepared for is the wait. And my prayer for all of us that as we wait, we could find joy, we could find hope and promise in the faithfulness of God. Would you pray with me? Oh, gracious God, we trust that you are faithful to us. And since you are we know you will be back for us. In the meantime, God, we ask for the faith and we ask for the courage. We ask for the commitment. We ask for the love that we need to wait faithfully for you. Use us, God. Forgive us when we've been so focused on other things, doing our own thing, doing things that matter to us. Give us the new heart today to begin anew doing what matters to you. Use our hands, use our minds, use our voices, use everything about us, God, to bring light so that others can see you through what we do. In Christ's name we pray together. Amen.